Blackwater, The Wagner Group, Executive Outcomes, The Flying Tigers, The Swiss Guard, The White Company, The Knights Templar, The Varangian Guard, Clerkus of Sparta, Pythagoras the Spartan, Mentor of Rhodes, Socrates of Achaea. The list is endless. Mercenaries, Guns for Hire, Soldiers of Fortune, Private Military Companies, Private Security Contractors, Dirty Deeds, <laughs> Not So Dirt Cheap. History is replete with privatized militaries. Call them what you want. They have been around for a very long time, and they are very likely not going away anytime soon. So you better get used to it, grow up, and accept it, or move to another planet. Because these days, in this world, folks, money trumps everything. And like it or not, wars are good, very good, for business. And pandemics, as if the only pandemic being hyped is an actual thing. Folks, epidemics, and pandemics have been around for as long as mankind. The only thing hurting anyone is the pandemic of the ignorant, the gullible, and the blindly obedient. Furthermore, history tells us that more people are enslaved and killed by such means as greed, corruption, oppression, and tyranny than by any other means. Money, profits, and propaganda. Call it psychological operations or call it psychological conditioning. You are being gaslit. So choose the red pill. Remove your blinders, all of them, and take a good sensory inventory of what you're being told and shown to believe. Because here we go. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Oconus, The Contractor's Life. Talking from the relatively insulated and bucolic rural foothills of northwestern Washington State, I'm your host, Scott Dresser. Life as a private security contractor a hostile or war-torn zone, or as some call it, a non-permissive environment. Well, it is a mixed bag of blessings. Some good, some not so good. All in all though, private security contracting is much the same as life. It is what you make it. And the MENA region, or the Middle East North Africa region. Lands of enchantment, lands of mystery, lands of the old ones and the ancient ones. Myths, legends, folklore, maybe. If you believe what you read in the ancient and the holy texts, then you know that it all centered around what we refer to as the MENA region. That's right, folks, the Mediterranean. And you probably also know that to every legend or myth, there is a base of at least some truth. All right, folks, so that said, <laughs> uh, time for at least one minor correction. 
Uh, there might be more. But uh, it, it came to my attention that in a previous episode, I had talked about uh, the African Guard forces uh, that were being paid. I think I referenced something on the order of a dollar to a dollar fifty an hour, and that was an error. The figure, the dollar amount, is correct, but it was a daily rate or a per day rate. And some people are aghast, and they're like, "What?" And they say a lot of other rotten things. But here, here it is, folks. Remember, in not every country is the same as America. In fact, even with all the BS that's been going on for well over two years, uh, some would say six to eight years, and I'm and I'm pretty much in agreement with that. But aside from all that stuff, America is still a very unique country. In Africa, in most of the countries, um, arguably all of that continent, the so-called living wage or the standard of living and the rest of it is completely different as it is in most countries around the world they're not all the same so for an african who resides lives in or the country of africa or the continent of africa and in one of those countries a dollar to a dollar 50 a day is actually pretty good money uh, most of them don't complain about that. That's good money. Now you pay them five dollars a day, and you know they they you know five and up. But five dollars a day, it's amazing what they'd be willing to do for five dollars a day. So when I was talking in the previous episodes, as I've referenced a few times, doling out five dollars for competitions you know, for a variety of reasons for these guys to engage in something, to break the monotony, get them motivated and whatnot. And I'd slap a $5 bill in their hand uh, to the winner. And I think at one point, as I've mentioned, uh, there were uh, conciliation rounds or, you know, where, the, where one or two other participants would get anywhere between two and three bucks. Okay. But that was a big deal to these guys because uh, even at the two dollars, that was a full. That was more. That was two days' pay for engaging in extracurricular physical activities. Okay, three dollars, three days' pay. Five dollars, essentially five days' pay. Okay, for engaging in what took anywhere between twenty minutes and an hour. Okay, so that was uh, <laughs> that came to my attention. I thought I'd clarify that now while I can. All right, so. Um, and like I said, I don't, to my knowledge, uh, there are, if there are Africans, uh, working in the guard force on American contracts in the MENA region, I'm not aware of it. Uh, that all went away, um, I don't know, by 2015 anyway, but it was, it, it pretty much was was gone by 2012, 2013, and, and certainly by 2015. And as I've referenced and mentioned before, it, it was due to a large extent, large measure, perhaps and arguably entirely because of the problems that cropped up over the years and they were exacerbated and they continued and 
uh, as I mentioned before, you know, when you're in that kind of an environment, there is just no room for that kind of tomfoolery. Okay, just no room for it. If you you're if you go overseas, if you go Oconus as a private security contractor, particularly in a hostile or a non-permissive environment, you'd better have your act together. And if you get a bad attitude, and as I've said before, it happens. We all have our day. Okay, we just have a bad day. It happens. But that should be the exception to the rule. It should be a rare exception. Okay, doesn't mean you have to be a comedian. Doesn't mean you have to be slap happy and, and have a fake plastic smile on your face 24-7. Just means you need to have your act together. You need to be serious. You need to take stuff seriously. There's just no room for that stuff. So that's what happened. And, and like I said, it's uh, we'll move on. I, but I just wanted to clarify that. Um, and then briefly, maybe a little bit more than briefly, uh, I want to talk about private security contracting here in the United States, uh, because I keep hearing and reading a lot of stuff that just some of it really infuriates me. And others, it's like, <laughs> I just can't help but shake my head and think, where did this person come up with that? Okay, so as I've said before, folks, private security contracting in the United States, there's a lot of it. Um, most of the private security contracts, certainly a majority of them anyway, are what we would call standard security uh, projects and contracts. Okay, they can be they can be filled by fulfilled with uh, standard security guards nobody special whether it's paul blart or a super paul blart that's i mean okay i'm just saying and in the majority of security companies no matter how they are organized or classified but the majority certainly a clear majority of private security companies and entities employ for the most part just Average, everyday Joe blows and Joe and blows. It, you know, they're just not, they don't they don't have any particular skill set um, that you would see on the private security contractor side. You know, the the folks that have gone overseas or that still go overseas. And as I've said before, there's there's still ample projects and contracts around the globe, whether it's maritime security or some other form of security uh, on dry land. Okay, but in, <laughs> here in the States, that that's just, you know, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm deriding security guards or police or anything else that someone may be thinking because it's a tough job in that typically they don't get much praise. Okay, typically nobody's patting them on the back and saying hey thanks man thanks for being here thanks for doing what you're doing okay and we've seen and read an awful lot uh more so with the police of them getting hurt injured um killed intentionally okay that was the person's intent was to hurt them or kill them same thing happens with security guards and often as it is with police Security, typically, here in the States anyway, are out there by themselves. Um, I see and I know and I hear a lot of them, and I know there's a lot of them out there were a client, usually the end client. 
that is the 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 entity that is made the phone call or accepted the sales pitch that's paying the check that's writing the check and signing it that entity as you might expect wants to spend as little as possible when it comes to security and they very typically hire or want just one security guard okay whether they're armed or unarmed and like i've said before in my opinion as far as i'm concerned unarmed security is no security okay and you can say all you want about all these electronic measuring devices that that are marketed and advertised uh, through the various media platforms they are not security okay they can be a deterrent to some extent and they're certainly especially if there's a video at, um, device or devices they can be good for follow-up for investigative purposes and one thing or another but they are not security okay so again not deriding security per se not deriding the law enforcement profession per se it is a difficult job or at least it can be okay and as i've said before most of the jobs i've worked if not all of them but certainly most of them have been easy peasy as far as i'm concerned a walk in the park okay and that may be because i'm measuring it compared to what i used to do the environment i used to be in okay and a lot of us measure it the same way those who have not been in those environments don't really have anything to measure it against okay and so they will frequently make more out of it oftentimes much more out of it than it really is and certainly more than it needs to be uh, so that's where an, a lot of these and uh what call it uh, misnomers if you will uh misconceptions about stuff in addition to we still to this day um uh, i was watching something on the television uh here recently not that i don't see it frequently but that that kind of went ha it epitomized what i was what i'm talking about of course it was you know mostly slapstick uh knee slapper kind of stuff and it was i'm sure it was sold intentionally that way but it was uh the paul blart movies and it was paul blart too and I, apparently i have i had never watched it in its entirety the first time it came out so i saw it here recently again and it kind of cracked me up so I, I thought i'd watch it so if you want to see the stereotypes of private security at play or in action uh without actually visiting it that's a pretty good movie to watch it gives you a pretty good insight into all the stereotypes of private security and i gotta say and i'm sure i'm not alone that is pretty much what standard private security is so when you hear me talking about the differences between standard security and non-standard security those are the things i'm talking about because as i've said before and i really don't want to go down that long list the skill sets the capabilities and the abilities of the man or woman that has 
let's say, you know, particularly with the military veterans that have a combat arms MOS and have also served as private security contractors, have gone through so many schools, so many courses, received so much instruction and training that to tr- and to try and compare them with the same person on the other side of the fence that doesn't have any of that where it's all been gleaned all been picked up through books videos movies and games and folks i'm telling you some of you probably know this but that is where a lot of these people pick this stuff up and learn it and run with it as if it's the gospel truth when it comes to security and i'm here to tell you that's not it not even close for an example, and I won't go into great detail because I don't want to divulge names and identities and, and other stuff that probably shouldn't be. Uh, so a few examples. One, uh, a project in the Seattle area that I'm currently administering, kind of sort of managing. i uh, got a really good dude that's really pretty much taking care of that, a lot of that management stuff for me. Uh, but the end client, because uh, uh, I'm, I've been subcontracted, okay? So, in other words, a prime contractor. Uh, and the prime contractor is the person or the entity that has the contract with the end client. And, they freak, and it's not an uncommon thing for that stuff to be subbed out, especially when we're talking about so-called national vendors, global vendors, what have you. They, okay, and as, because as as I've said before, folks, there is no company on the globe that has the the standing personnel to just, at the snap of a finger or at a end client's whim, fulfill a contract on short notice where they need or want 25 people or 50 or 100 people. Now, that's not to say that there aren't organizations out there, small, large, and, and in between, that don't have lists that, that shrink and, and expand um, over time with qualified persons that are on a roster, if you will, where they would call you up and say, hey, are you interested? I got this, yada, yada, yada. I do that, and I know plenty of other people that do the same thing, Okay called networking or network so anyway back to where i started with this particular point the end client is apparently tickled pink with the level of service uh at the security side that's been performed by the guys on the ground that i've hired and as i've stated before i don't hire anybody on a w-2 anymore haven't done that in at least a year probably two years um that doesn't mean that I won't at some point, um, but my focus is on W-9. And as I've said before, the person that's working on a W-9 almost always, but usually, has a lot more at stake, a lot more in the game. They're a lot more vested, and chances are they're a lot more qualified, and they're going to do a much better job than what anybody else that's a quote-unquote standard security guard could ever do. 
because it's easy. They know how to do it. They don't got to, you know, anyway. So they're tickled pink. Um, they want exclusive stuff. That's not an uncommon thing. But they were, I guess the point I'm driving at, so when we're talking about the separation, the distinction between standard security and non-standard security. So the guys who are working this project are all non-standard security dudes. Okay, They're all highly capable. Um, that is why the client is so tickled pink. Because these guys nailed this place down. They got it squared away. And within two weeks, you know, for... There were virtually crickets. Okay, there there is the occasional disruption, but it's taken care of right away. So, in spite of the amount of money that they're spending, they're actually it's pretty close to a even wash because of what they're not losing in terms of stuff being damaged, stuff being broken, stuff being stolen, taken, whatever you want to call it. And then having to do all the insurance stuff that they got, you know, it saves them a lot of hassle, a lot of headaches, a lot of time, a lot of money, but a lot of time. Okay, so that's one example. Another example would be a project fairly recently uh, where, I, where I was in, uh, like I said, when I was in New Mexico. And they got to a point where everybody that was hired was non-standard security. Now, as with standard security folks, same thing with non-standard, uh, same thing in, your, in the military, just go down, pretty much every industry has something similar, where just because we're, we're technically better than the other people doesn't mean that we're all the same. Because obviously, for a variety of reasons, some of us are just better than others. It's just, you know, or at least at certain elements, certain things, certain portions or aspects of security. But that was, um, again, the end client, at least at, in that portion of New Mexico where I was working, was tickled pink with at least two of the locations that we were at uh, in terms of our performance and just the general tenor of things and the tempo and, and everything else. It was just, it was difference between night and day. And, and the end client reps that I talked with phrased it differently, but that's basically, that was, that was the bottom line. Tickled pink, uh, couldn't have been better. Now, as time went on, um, it, for reasons I really won't go into detail, um, other than pay, and I'll talk about that here in a moment, is a lot of us, or actually all but one, I think, left i think one went back for a short time but they all threw their hands up in the air and said that's it and that was primarily due to pay issues and that's again uh, that's not an uncommon issue in private security okay at the at the large levels on the big projects and the big contracts you typically don't have pay issues when you do and it gets brought up, it usually gets sorted out fairly quickly, and you rarely, if ever, have those issues again. But at the smaller levels, so at the medium and small levels, lower levels, um, in terms of uh, uh, projects, 
um, you frequently see that. And a lot of private security contractors, independent operators, independent contractors that are out there, that ha- that's not an uncommon thing to hear. Um, so why they do that, I, you know, sky is the limit. You know, you probably have experienced something similar. If you haven't, it's frustrating because it's like, I've talked with people so many times about this. It's like, you know, you can do a lot of tomfoolery with people. But when you start doing tomfoolery with their money, with their paycheck, you've crossed a line that's very difficult to get back over on the other side with. So aside from the pay issues, the other thing that, that's really, really come into focus. I mean, I, I kind of sort of knew this all along. But I didn't realize just how bad it was or how bad it could be when we're talking about rates of pay. And I'm not talking, well, to some, anyway, so rates of pay for the people on the ground and rates of pay that the entity, the prime, uh, it is charging the end client. And oftentimes, certainly not always, but oftentimes when I hear these things, I'm like, You've got to be kidding me. Who in their right mind would pay that entity that kind of money for, this, for, for that security and, and continue to do it and not look for somebody else that if they're going to continue to spend that kind of money, an entity that actually is supplying qualified security personnel and doing true security. So I have heard so many times, I, I mean, probably dozens of times just in the past 30 days or so, maybe 45 days, stories of these people charging exorbitant amounts to end clients and paying comparatively peanuts to the people on the ground and treating them like crap, talking to them like crap because they think they're better. They think they're better because you you name it, <laughs> okay? But the biggest thing is when I have these discussions, it's like, well, yeah, I'm going to charge you accordingly. I'm going to charge you appropriately, but I'm not going to charge you that kind of money. That's absurd. Okay. I mean, we all need to make a profit. We're in business. We're not a nonprofit organization. Okay. We're business. So like any business, you need to make a profit. And most people understand that. I had a recent project here about a week ago um, where I charged the dude X number of dollars. It was a one-day thing. I had a friend of mine join me. I split the pay right down the middle, 50% for him, 50% for me. Now, my wife kind of gonged me for it because she said, well, Scott, you, you got all the other costs, you know, for your business and, and yada, yada, yada. I said, yeah, I know, whatever. You know, but it was, it was a, basically a seven-hour job. Um, and it paid well. And, and the guy, you know, he choked a little bit, but, and he, you know, and at first he said, well, what choice have I got? I, you know, he's obviously he's called other people. And he had told me that. And I said, well, you do have a choice. I said, you can call somebody else. I don't have to be the one to do this for you. Okay. But if I'm going to, this is what I'm going to charge you. And it's actually a bargain. I said, but I'm willing to do it because you're, you're local, you're a local business. And it's not that difficult. But that's what it's going to cost if you want real professionals there on the ground. Okay. 
So it might you it might feel like it hurts a little bit, but chances are when you hire professional private security contractors, what you get in return, it might take you a while for it might take a while for it to sink in and to really hit home. But the return on that investment is almost immeasurable. Okay. Because pretty quickly, if not almost immediately, word gets out. People talk. They know. You're a hard target now. They're not going to screw around. Okay. They're not, okay. That doesn't mean that you're 100% secure or that because there are no guarantees in security. There's no guarantees in life. Okay. So if anybody's telling you or promising this or promising that, they're lying through their teeth. That or they just have absolutely zero or next to zero experience. They're not being honest. But the chances are reduced substantially or dramatically. Okay. Because people can tell when the people doing the work know what they're doing. Okay. So no, we're not, <laughs> you know, if, if you get the impression that we're scowling and growling and dragging knuckles, not even close, okay? But it's, at the end of the day, when he handed me the check, because <clears throat> he gave it to me that day when we were done. So we did the initial meet and greet, and he asked for a meet and greet <clears throat> when it was all over. He wanted to thank us. He couldn't thank us enough. He was very appreciative of the work we did. Everything was smooth. All of his customers were very appreciative of us being there. And we did a great job because, and we blended in. So we, you know, we weren't out there in tactical gear. Um, not to say that we weren't ready. <laughs> we were geared, but we blended in. And we were pleasant with the customers and we would talk with them. Um, as much as we could because we still have a job to do uh, so we were doing our jobs and you know and usually customers know that so those are just a few examples um, that highlight what I'm getting at the difference between standard security and non-standard security and non-standard security should be in my opinion filled primarily by the military veterans with combat MOSs, especially those who've been deployed downrange, and or the private security contractors who've also been deployed downrange. And, and the longer they've done it, and the more they have to show on, on their bio, their resume, the more they, the more they should have. Uh, and a lot of companies, I know this because I, I used to talk and associate with these people, which I don't anymore, who would occasionally hire a veteran or a private security contractor because they were friends with that person or they wanted to check that box and we see a lot of that in private security contracting clients and clients primes and subs want to check the boxes okay are they this skin color are they that ethnicity um, do they have this disability you know yada 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 and it's like wait a minute what happened to capability, ability, and qualifications, okay? See that so much, and they're charging through the nose for this, and the end clients 
apparently don't care because they're able to check all those virtue signaling boxes. Anybody who's worked with me or for me at some point understands that I don't play that game. Okay, whether I'm working for you or you're working for me, I just don't play those games. Okay, and as I've said before, there have been projects or jobs that I have left early because there was just too much of that tomfoolery going on. And I didn't want to be associated with it. I didn't, especially if something happened. You know, I'm just saying, when you want to talk about abilities and capabilities, the private security contractor and or the military veteran, because they are frequently one and the same, are typically far more qualified to do security in any form than pretty much anyone else. Does that mean that there aren't other forms of men and women out there? And I'll just say at the OGA level, for example, of course, but frequently, not always, frequently they have a military background. Now, some to a lot don't, okay, and you can figure out what OGA is. You can look that up, okay, go down the alphabet soup, Okay. Again, it depends on what their job was. Okay. If they were truly on the ground, field operative kind of people, they're typically qualified because of the schools, the courses, the instruction, and the training, and the experience. And that's what you're paying for. I mean, you look for that in a marketing company. You look for that in an advertising company, a construction company, a plumber, what have you. Why wouldn't you do the same thing when it comes to security? And it almost doesn't matter what level or form of security that we're talking about, because I've seen it, <laughs> I've experienced it, okay, for whether it's wildland fires or EP type work or some other form of protective work, hostile terminations, what have you, stalking, um, you know, just go down the list of uh, diplomatic security um, or dignitary protection or what have you, um, whether it's whether it's initiated by a government agency or a private corporation. So often the firm or the company that does the hiring, that staffing the positions is just grabbing the as many ready, warm bodies as they can because they need to fulfill that contract requirement of getting X number of personnel in place by Y date and time. Okay. And I have had to, for, re for those reasons, had to turn down or decline uh, certain projects and no small number of them because for whatever reason, by the time they got around to calling me and asking them the questions and, and figuring out the details, it's like, hey, you know, I, I can't do that. I can't get the number of people you're talking about wanting within this short period of time. Certainly no qualified people. Can I find warm bodies? Of course. But I don't want that hassle. And I'm sure you don't want to see that circus in play when it happens. And I have seen it so many times. It is. It's a three-ring circus, a five-ring circus, whatever you want to call it. 
I've seen that at all levels, and I'm not the only one. And I've had those discussions, and probably we'll get into them again with certain government uh, entities. It's like, why isn't there? Why is there? Give me a good, practical explanation, not a long-winded snake oil sales pitch. Explain to me, practically speaking, why there isn't a state standard or a state standards of separation and even on a national level, okay? So for the men and women who can show, articulate, demonstrate through documentation that they have the schooling, the courses, the training, the instruction, and the experience, why can't they, why shouldn't they be allowed and able to carry open or concealed across the country while at play or at work without having to go through all the bureaucratic rigmarole that they have to go through in every county or state, every state anyway, certainly a lot of states. Okay, why is there not an equal librium of reciprocity where we say, hey, you know, we've got this database, this registry of men and women who have served this nation and here's their documentation that's been verified. They are cleared to do this line of work, this particular line of work, and they can do it across the country. Okay, why not? Okay, give me a good practical reason other than in numerous discussions with people at numerous levels, it typically comes down to controlling the territory. They don't want the competition. Okay, that's what it comes down to. So you're not getting, typically, your money's worth because the competition is held at bay. Okay, use whatever verbiage you want, but essentially, cabals of people. Okay, companies, organizations are people, comprised of people that don't want the competition. They want all the money. And they're getting fat rich off of it. And a lot of them just don't know what they're doing. I will come back to this and <laughs> visit it again. Uh, but that kind of puts a wrap on this episode, folks. So I want to thank you, everyone, for taking time out of your day, afternoon, or evening to listen to me talk about private security contracting overseas, as well as some of my experiences as a private security contractor overseas and here in the States. Thank you to my wife, for whom I owe immeasurable gratitude. Thank you to my family, my friends, and all the people, male and female, who have been and still are a part of my life. And remember, folks, it takes a team. The grass is not always greener on the other side. So be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it. Stay humble, stay safe, and keep others safe by staying frosty. And until next time, keep it real. Oconus the Contractor's Life extends a special thank you to music composer Kava Cohen and to Colin Perry of Ninja Tracks for allowing Oconus the Contractor's Life the use of Kava's song, Heavy Clutch, 
from the music soundtrack to the game Forza Motorsport 7. And also, a big thank you to Andres Rodriguez, who can be found at the Fiverr website for his excellent original music scores.